Welcome to Love Your Heart, brought to you by Cleveland Clinic's Seidel and Arnold Miller Family Heart and Vascular Institute. These podcasts will help you learn more about your heart, thoracic, and vascular systems, ways to stay healthy, and information about diseases and treatment options. Enjoy. I'm Dr. Miriam Jacob. I'm in the uh, Advanced Heart Failure and Transplant section here at Cleveland Clinic. This is Dr. Gustavo Horaci, who's our Director of Pulmonary Vascular Diseases in the Respiratory Institute, and Dr. Mike Tong, who is our Director of Mechanical Circulatory Support and Heart Transplant here at the Cleveland Clinic. Um, so we're talking about pulmonary hypertension, and to start, what is pulmonary hypertension? It really just means high blood pressure of the lungs. Um, and there are different flavors and varieties of this, and the typical patient comes in and they're short of breath, they might be fatigued, they might be swelling, a lot of the symptoms that a lot of our patients with heart and lung disease have. Um, Dr. Hasey, can you talk a little bit more about who is the kind of person that we see and we are suspicious of this diagnosis of pulmonary hypertension? Right, so, so pulmonary hypertension is really the, the other high blood pressure, right? So people think about high blood pressure in the arms, we're talking about high lung pressures, and, and the symptom is shortness of breath. No? Our patients come with shortness of breath for weeks, months, years sometimes. Other symptoms sometimes uh, include uh, just feel, feeling tired, um, and then when the disease is more severe, chest discomfort, lightheadedness, and, and passing out. So what we, I always try to tell people, of course, is if you're having some of these symptoms, particularly, again, shortness of breath, and your doctors have done some of the testing that we typically do, you know, some chest x-rays, some breathing tests, maybe some uh, heart test, and there is no clear explanation for the symptoms. And typically what we see also is patients get some water pills, some inhalers, and if there is no significant improvement in the symptoms, you need to start thinking about something like pulmonary hypertension and, and talk to your doctors about that. And the first screening test of choice for, uh, to start looking into this is the, the echocardiogram, no? the heart ultrasound that mm -hmm. uh, you guys in cardiology do frequently. Mm -hmm. And it's a really easy test. You know, there's no pain. There's some cold jelly that puts on your chest. So it's actually a really non-invasive way to screen and figure out if somebody has pre high pressures of the lungs. Um, so what's the next step? So say we are suspicious on the echo. So what do we do next? Right. And that's a very important point. So we, we would never uh, arrive at a final diagnosis, and certainly we would never treat uh, based on an echo alone uh, to, to confirm the diagnosis, assess its severity, understand where it may be coming from, uh, we do need a procedure called right heart catheterization, which, which you do frequently for, for us, uh, and, and I'll let you explain how it goes, but basically that test is the one that tells us accurately how high the blood pressure in the lungs uh, is, and also starts to tell us where it may be coming from. Uh, about that, and concomitant with the, with the right heart catheterization, if we see pulmonary hypertension, there's a battery of tests that we need to do that include uh, imaging of the chest, breathing tests, some blood work, uh, tests to look for blood clots in the lungs, so a variety of testing to understand where uh, the reason is for the pulmonary pressure elevation. 
So right heart catheterization is an outpatient procedure. It's different than left heart catheterization that most people know. And what we're literally doing is just going into the right side of the heart and the lung and, and measuring the blood pressure and how well the heart's pumping the blood out. Um, we do it here every day. We probably do 10 a day in our lab. The pulmonologists do it as well. Um, we co- People come in. They're not given any sedation. And we clean the, the neck because that's usually the vein that we go through. We numb it with a small numbing needle and put an IV there. And then after that, we put a long plastic tube into the heart and the lungs and measure the pressures. And with that procedure, we're going to know, is there pulmonary hypertension there or not? So we will know at least, does it exist? A little bit about its flavor. And then from there, we can say, if we see that it exists, like Dr. Harisi says, we go on to define it more because that affects how we treat people. Um, And depending on the category we put people in, Uh, We have medical therapies that possibly help them. We have surgical therapies that may help them. So it's really important to get the correct diagnosis first and then defining it a little bit better. So we have about 12 different medications out there. Some are IV, some are subcutaneous, some are inhaled, some are oral. Um, You know, Dr. Hersey, do you want to talk a little bit about how we start therapies or how we decide? Yeah, so um, the the first step is to understand... uh, where the pulmonary hypertension is coming from, right? So if it's due to heart disease, you will work on the heart and and try to fix that. If it's due to lung disease like emphysema, pulmonary fibrosis, then we in pulmonary medicine try to uh, manage that. If it's due to blood clots, uh, we talk about surgical therapies or other interventional procedures that can can treat that. And if it is due to uh, connective tissue disease like lupus, scleroderma, or others, then we then we have these medical therapies that we use. And basically, we 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 now start very aggressively. We typically start a couple of medications from the get-go. But what we do is we do a careful evaluation to assess how severe the disease is. If the if the, the pulmonary hypertension elevation is quite severe and the and the right side of the heart is pretty weak. We typically would start our most aggressive therapies, which include the pump therapy with an infused medication. Uh, and if not, then we typically start with pills, and then we add medications as, as we go along. Um, so speaking of one of the flavors of pulmonary hypertension, there's one called chronic thromboembolic disease. So it's when people get blood clots or they get scarring, actually, of the lung arteries, and it actually puts back pressure on the right side of the heart and causes you know, this pulmonary hypertension disease. So um, Dr. Tong, can you talk a little bit about the surgical treatments that we have for some of our patients? Yes. So, um, so the condition that you just described, it's CTEF for short, stands for chronic thromboembolic pulmonary hypertension. Um, and essentially what it is is in patients who've developed pulmonary embolus, in most patients with just blood thinners, um, the pulmonary embolus will be dissolved and it'll go away. But in a small group of those patients, they will often either get recurrent disease, recurrent uh, pulmonary embolus, or um, the pulmonary embolus doesn't go away, it doesn't dissolve. And over time, that clot becomes scar and that scar becomes stuck onto the wall of the blood vessels in the artery. And, uh, and when the scar builds up, the right heart has nowhere to pump the blood to, and the pressure will just build up. And, um, and in those cases, if we see this on imaging, such as a CT scan or a pulmonary angiogram, um, we can then take these patients to surgery, and it'll often be a curative procedure. Uh, what we do during surgery is uh, we'll put the patient on a heart-lung machine, and then we'll open up the arteries that go to the lung, and I will find where the scar is, and we'll peel the scar off of the blood vessels, 
and uh, do a complete extraction of all the scar. Um, this is predicated on the scar being present in the large vessels and in the medium-sized vessels, and uh, we can continue to peel the scar as, as it enters into the smaller vessels, and once it gets to the vessels that are too small for my instruments, we start pulling on the scar like a piece of spaghetti and, and uh, get a complete extraction. Sometimes you do have patients where the scar starts very far down into the lungs in the blood vessels that are just too small for my instruments to get to. And in those type of patients, uh, surgery will not be successful if I can't get to the scar with the instruments. In those cases, luckily, we have a new modalities of treatment with uh, balloon and catheters. Um, our interventional radiology colleagues can go in and using a balloon, get to the smaller vessels and push those um, scar tissue aside um, and to allow the blood flow to get back into the segments of the lungs that were occluded before. So, um, so nowadays we do have multiple modalities. We have surgery, uh, which is an excellent option for many of these patients and patients who are either too high risk for surgery or who have disease that are in the too small of a vessel for surgery. Um, the balloon angioplasty is also very successful. And occasionally you have uh, patients who have disease in the, in the tiniest of the vessels um, called the capillaries. And in those patients, um, uh, neither surgery or uh, or the balloons will be successful. And those patients would rely on, on medications, and when the medications do fail, um, then we still have the option of doing lung transplantation. So I think, you know, our expectation and our hope is to improve quality of life, to reduce symptoms, sometimes get people off oxygen, get people having, you know, functioning better. Um, for those patients where we've been aggressive with surgery or medications and they're getting worse and worse and we don't know, we don't have anything else to do, what's the next step? Right. So the next step for those patients is uh, to basically replace the lungs with new lungs, right? Lung transplantation. And, and I think it's important to consider that luckily with all the, these new medications, the need for that has come down dramatically over the, the last couple of decades. We used to do way more lung transplantation or sometimes even heart lung transplantation for our pulmonary hypertension patients. But nowadays, it's really a minority. However, we, we do do a few uh, every year, and I think that's important to recognize that lung transplantation remains a treatment of choice for people who are on maximal medical therapy, which typically would include a couple of pills and infuse pump medication. Uh, if those patients in people who are still quite limited, uh, very short of breath and a lot of oxygen, very high lung pressures, lung transplantation is, is the way to go. There's also certain uh, particular conditions that would make us think immediately about that, and that's just to stress out the importance of the evaluation. Now, there's some things in the lungs, um, relatively rare conditions that we call pulmonary venoclusive disease, for example, but there are certain conditions in the lungs that we know from the get-go, they are not too likely to respond to these medications, and so we immediately think about lung transplantation and start that process. So it sounds like, you know, for us, we really think it's important for patients to get to the right place to get the correct diagnosis, to get hooked in for the right treatments, um, and also escalate therapy, you know, to surgery or transplant when it's appropriate. But I agree, things have changed so much even in the last 10 years, 15 years, that most of our patients actually are living their lives on complex medical regimens, but doing really well with that. Um, and, you know, some other things that we've, we're studying right now are kind of lifestyle things that we can change as well. So, Dr. Rizzi, can you talk about one of the studies that we have here 
in particular for our patients with uh, pulmonary hypertension? Yes, so uh, we, um, as you pointed out, uh, we have made a lot of progress. We're luckily being able to help a lot of people with this serious and deadly disease. However, uh, we're not doing great. We're not curing the disease, except when Michael removes these clots from (laughs) from people. Uh, But for the most part, pulmonary hypertension remains an incurable disease, and, and people frequently remain limited. So we're looking at new things. We're looking at new medical therapies. Uh, looking at new mechanisms of, of action, trying to move beyond just you know, opening our vessels and perhaps targeting the, the sort of the, the basis of the disease. And one of the things that actually makes intuitive sense, although we've never really proven it, is it's just healthy diet and exercise, right? And of course, it, it helps in general to your well-being, but we actually think, and there's some preliminary data to support this, that diet and exercise will actually help intrinsically pulmonary vascular disease, pulmonary hypertension. So we have a study looking at that, uh, basically you know, improving your diet, uh, having some uh, more vegetables, olive oil, fruits, etc., and also getting a personal trainer to sort of train every, every day for, for, for three months. And uh, we think that that's going to lead to improvements in pulmonary hypertension. But we need to do the study to prove it, of right. course. And it's a great study because I think patients feel very motivated and are excited yep. to do it, and it benefits them to recondition them. But we're also trying to learn a lot Correct. to say what is the proper way of treating our patients um, with regards to um, you know, how our teams work. You know, Dr. Tong, can you talk a little bit about how when a patient's case comes to us or we see a patient, kind of how this, the chronic thromboembolic pulmonary hypertension group looks at things? Yeah, the real benefit of, um, of uh, for patients that come to a place like Cleveland Clinic is that you get the expertise of an entire team. Every individual on the team will have uh, various areas of expertise and skill sets and, um, and you're really be able to leverage the experience of the team. When it comes to the CTEF program, um, Dr. Horesi and myself, along with our vascular medicine colleagues and our interventional radiology colleagues, among many uh, others, we meet together um, to evaluate each patient and uh, come up with a specific treatment targeted for them. We'll look at all their investigations, look at all their imaging, uh, look at um, uh, and, and see the, these patients in person and, um, and uh, then we can come up with a treatment plan that's specific for them and, uh, and that will have the most likelihood, the chance of success. Likewise, the lung transplant program, there's, uh, there's multiple members of the team, pulmonologists, surgeons, social workers, and, um, and uh, also other individuals, uh, dietitians, and, uh, and it's really so that, uh, so that we can treat every patient as an individual. Um, it's not uncommon when we see patients that they've been symptomatic for a long time. They've been having symptoms for six months, a year, two years, three years, and they really haven't had a good understanding of why their symptoms are the way they are. They may have been started on various treatments. They've been on, may have been uh, misdiagnosed as a pneumonia or, or um, etc. And the treatment really hasn't been working. And it's not until they come and see us where we can then try to figure out exactly what's uh, what's affecting them. And once we have the right diagnosis, that's uh, only then can uh, can we really start the right treatment for them. So um, so as uh, as part of the CTEF uh, team. You know, since we've been working together as a team over the last uh, over the last five to ten years, our outcomes have improved tremendously. Um, 
finding the right patients to take to surgery, finding the right patients to, to treat up with medications, finding the right patients to balloon angioplasty, uh, we've gotten our, um, our mortality um, in CTEF down to about 2 to 3%. And this is an operation that historically, in, um, in most places, will have a mortality of about 10% mm -hmm. or so. so um, and likewise, with the lung transplant team, uh, they've uh, had incredible outcomes and, and um, been able to bring patients from all of the United States and even all of the world, too. So, um, so that's a real benefit for patients uh, to, to come to the Cleveland Clinic. We're able to uh, we, we will meet you and, and, um, and evaluate you as a team. We'll uh, help you find the underlying cause of your disease. We are able to give you every treatment modality um, and, uh, and uh, get you involved in multiple clinical trials so that you have access to, to the most advanced therapies. And we can do that with, uh, with excellent outcomes. I think um, one important thing to know about pulmonary hypertension, although it's called pulmonary hypertension, it actually requires pulmonologists, cardiologists, cardiac surgeons, thoracic surgeons, all kinds of different specialties to treat it. Um, and we feel like patients where there's a suspicion for this disease should come to a center that specializes in this so that they can have the proper diagnosis and then start on the proper treatment depending on what that diagnosis is and how they're defined. Um, and our team here, as you see, is made up of different individuals with different training backgrounds. And I think that gives us a great advantage to identify the right diseases and treat patients properly and individualize their treatment plan. Absolutely. And let me just add to that uh, so that people know also uh, that is absolutely true. We have a, an excellent expert, multidisciplinary team, but we also will partner with your local docs, right? That's and right. for sure it's a, it's a relationship that, that we build because obviously, you know, we realize it's uh, sometimes uh, difficult to come down here. Mm -hmm. It's a big place. Uh, and so we will always partner and build that relationship mm -hmm. with your doctors. Uh, so that we, you know, they are part of the team. They're mm -hmm. really part of our team when we, when we, when we take care of you over the, over the long term. That's great. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. We welcome your comments and feedback. Please contact us at heart at ccf.org. Like what you heard? Please subscribe and share the link on iTunes.